How's it going, Odd People? You are listening to the Odd People Podcast, and I am your host, Matt the Cat. Today is episode number 39, and in this episode I traveled to the town of East Ham, Mass, in the wandering bus known as Guinevere, to talk to the very talented poet, writer, artist, photographer, sculptor, Lauren Kalita. I hope you enjoy the show. Describe um, who you are uh, today as uh, as an artist. Sure. So you can introduce yourself now okay. <laughs> and ex- <laughs> explain uh, who you are as an artist, <laughs> what you do. I don't know how to put that. Who am I and how do I identify? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I am Lauren Kalita and I am a poet and a visual artist, photographer, and I'm just going to say it, um, sculptor, it's it's only been very recently that I've allowed myself to use that word. I, I would just say assemblage because it felt like um, I couldn't own that um, that I was a sculptor because I have no formal training. But um, those so those are the creative things that I do. So I write yeah. and writing is my first creative outlet. It is my strongest identification. It is my first love. And it's what I went to school for, so... We're out in East Ham right now, at your home. Yes. Where did you grow up originally? Because I know you're not from out here. No. We're not Cape Cod people. We are <laughs> not, no. <laughs> so where did where'd you grow up? Uh, in New Jersey. So New Jersey, okay. I was born in New Jersey, and we, I guess, central New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. New Go Jersey's, New Jersey. I New, love New, New Jersey. New Jersey's strange to me, because... You go by what you see on TV and movies. Oh, the horror! And it, yeah, and it's the Sopranos. <laughs> it's you know what I mean. It's and it is. I'm sure it is. Yeah, yeah. And I, I recently, not that long ago, I met a guy who worked for a company that traveled up to my workplace, and this guy had a thick Southern accent. Where are you from? New Jersey. We were like, wait, where? Why? <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, well, why? I can't remember exactly where if it was Southern New Jersey or. The western part of the state, which okay. what's the next state over? Is that Virginia? Uh, or no. Okay, so Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania. Okay. Pennsylvanians can have some strange. Yeah. So accents. I don't know if he was on the Pennsylvania border, maybe, or okay. I don't, it was. It was really weird, and it didn't make any sense to any of us at work. But we were like, okay, he's from New Jersey, but he sounds like he's from Georgia. It didn't. It I kind strange. of get that, and I bet Nate would know because Nate is also um, was born in New Jersey, in um, further south. But, um, but anyway, so, so yeah, so New Jersey, (laughs) (laughs) but then we moved to Massachusetts when I was just entering high school, went to high school in, um, in Cohasset. So on the South shore and, um, moved to New York as soon as I could 17, as soon as I graduated, moved to Manhattan and spent, um, about 15 years in New York, in Manhattan, Cool. had a couple (laughs) of years in Paris and then Back to New Jersey, 
My son was born in New Jersey. All right. And then we, my son and I, um, moved up here seven and a half years ago. Okay. Well, no, I guess it's more closer to nine, but seven and a half years ago, we moved to the Cape. So you've been all over. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I'm always um, curious to know this about artistic people. Did you grow up in a house with a lot of like art and poetry and writing or we, it was all on you? <laughs> Did you decide to do this? Like, live this life because it was just what you were interested in? Yes. Or did you grow up with it around you? Mm, I don't want to say a hard no, but it's definitely not a yes. Yeah. So, okay, the kind of art that I grew up with in my house was the worst clown art. <laughs> clown art. Yeah. That um, my father had, and was very proud of, walls of our basement all around the pool table and very proud of his clown art. <laughs> so no, not really a lot of the fine arts. However, however, in all fairness, my mother, my parents are money people. My parents are business people and in, in, in every sense. And, but my mother had, had, you know, let her creativity out in, in terms of making things for around the house for, for okay. us. And so, so there was some amount of making. So she was present. crafty. Yeah. yeah. And supposedly once upon a time, my father liked to write poetry, but he sort of had it beaten out of him by his father. And that was, I n never knew that side. Autopilot. Of, I, I, knew the, I knew the autopilot version. And, and I understand. Yeah. And I understand. But I had grandparents who were world travelers. I mean, they, I, I think that that gene um, skipped a generation and went from my paternal grandparents straight to me. I mean, we really are the gypsies. And they collected art from wherever they went all around yeah. the world and, and brought it back. And so I would see it in their house. And they took us to the opera. Um, so I remember going to the opera at an early age and having cool. like an abiding love of opera, yeah. which is unfortunate for um, my son and my partner because I, <laughs> I will burst into, you know, faux arias and, and um, they threaten to call the police and accuse <laughs> me of, you know, <laughs> crimes against humanity. So, but, but in terms of um, what I do, um, no, I had to come to these things very much on my own and I had to um, really, really fight, like really, really fight in mm -hmm. my family for um, those parts of myself to be allowed expression and they really weren't. And yeah. so from an early age, I really, really knew the high cost of being odd, yeah. of indulging um, creativity in a way that wasn't closeted. Um yeah. You know, and and really was very much frowned upon to put yourself out there. Um, you know, I mean if you're if you're going to be as self indulgent as you are, Lauren, to, you know, keep a notebook full of writing, at least yeah. God, God, hide it. Yeah. Hide it. Why please don't do let that, anybody don't know. Do it out in public. Right. Oh, don't let yeah. anybody know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can relate to the clown art. Um, no, Matt, my, I'm sorry. <laughs> my my mom, <clears throat> I don't know if she even listens to the show. Sorry, Ma. But um, she used to have these clown sculptures. Sculptures? Like little tiny. Like I, figurines? Yeah, it, it, it's a famous artist. It's not like it's <clears throat> some strange thing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Is it's it a hobo clown kind of guy? Is it like, oh. But oh. there was like a collection. Yadro? 
double L A D R O. I could be confusing Possibly. like, but it's like ceramics. A it's like a hobo clown. Yes. Yes, I know this. And it's he's in all these different scenarios. Yes, yes. And his him, you know, so she had like the whole collection on like the hutch, <laughs> the hutch. in the dining room. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you walk by it and go, "Yeah, this is a homeless clown." <laughs> just it was, thankfully, it wasn't paintings, and it wasn't a whole, oh, a whole they room were haunting. or anything. Yeah, they were that's haunting, scary. like like thick, thick oil paintings. Yeah, and I'm not a huge fan of clowns. I mean, I don't know too many people that are. When I was a kid, we went to Disney. We got this little clown that played the melody of It's a Small World. Mm-hmm. And while it played, its head rolled Oh, like this, which couldn't be the... I don't know who decided that was a... A good thing. A, a, yeah, put that in <laughs> the kids. souvenir shop. Sure. Yeah. Somebody will buy it. My mom. And uh, it was on the dresser across from my bed growing up. And it would... It was a, a, a wind-up... You know, uh, music box. So the head wouldn't roll thing. unless you wound it? Crank it, yeah. Okay. But okay. it would, I don't know if it was my imagination <laughs> or it would just randomly start in the middle of the night. Ding, ding, ding. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. And it was terrifying and I hated it. <laughs> and I would take it off the, you know, in the, you know, I'm sitting like this with the blankets up to my, up over my oh nose. Oh my God. I would take it off, put it in the closet and it would... My mother was, oh, why is this in the closet? She put it back out. Oh, man. <laughs> but I'm like, come home from school. Like, what's that doing there? Just terrified of this freaking little clown with its head rolling around. That's playing. something that, like, Steven Spielberg would put in one of his 80s movies, right? Yeah. Or Oh, yeah. That's it's, like, it's, or, it was, or a poltergeist. Yeah, it was, a, it was a very terrifying little clown. I don't know what it happened to it. it. I, hope it I hope it's... You don't know what happened to it? Oh, I hope it's gone. <laughs> I don't know. I keep that was one of the few things I didn't keep track of when I moved out. Matt, was... you know that you know, I bet you any money that's somehow maybe not the actual clown object you're describing, but giving it this much energy right now during during our conversation, it's it's, it's going it's... to surface in some way, even if you just see like a post on Instagram or yeah. you see it in a window, that, um, yeah. it's going to surface. Oh, it's going to surface and it's going to scare me. <laughs> so you lived in New York. Uh, I did long time. You went to college. I, miss it. college I went there? to um, to Columbia. Yep, up yep. in um, way up 116th Street. I loved every day of it. I I can't say enough about what a great experience it was. Great, great experience. I did not go straight from high school. Okay. And um, for a long time, I felt like this was something that maybe I should be ashamed of or I shouldn't um, talk about. And I, I feel very much the opposite, very much the opposite. I think it's really important, actually. I mean, I got in, you know, yeah. I applied, I got accepted. It was, I could have gone. But <laughs> I decided that I needed to to do my own thing and, um, and separate from um, my family, but I didn't know how to get where I wanted to go without the only way that I was going to move to New York at 17 straight from high school mm-hmm. was for my parents to okay me going to a New York City university and I didn't want to be uptown I knew I wanted to be a downtown girl so I accepted NYU okay. and I was an NYU student for one semester and I went to maybe four classes <laughs> <laughs> they were, I, I, no, I probably went to, I probably went to six classes and, and three of them were um, language classes and three of them were opera classes. And, 
and I, I got a job and I worked in, um, I worked in this new age store because this was the eighties. Yeah. So new age was new. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I shacked up with, um, with an older man and I made my job full time and I dropped out of NYU at the end of the first semester as soon as I turned 18 and I was legally an adult and yeah. and dropped out and it took me exactly 10 years exactly 10 years to decide that the time was right I was right yeah. I was ripe for <clears throat> um formal education and called Columbia and they said you know okay <laughs> can reapply and yeah. um so I was an older, an older undergraduate. Yeah. Um, but it was, it, it was so right. It was a beautiful experience. But I lived and, and worked and went to school in, um, in the city for probably a little bit more than 15 years. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it was. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, that's probably the best way to do it. That's the best story of somebody doing it and it's led to success, mm-hmm. you know, actually finishing college and yeah. you know, actually going to a university and doing school. I think there's a big issue with people being pushed into school, mm-hmm. being pushed into things that you don't want to do mm-hmm. just because, no, th- this is it. This is high school. This is the progression that you're right. supposed to go in. And this is it. This is the kick it into autopilot early <laughs> and do your work. And it was so wrong for me, Matt. Yeah. And if it just was, I was never right for school. I hated school. Mm-hmm. I graduated by the skin of my teeth. Because you had to. Because I had to. It was the In only, quotes. Yeah. It yeah. was the only year that I couldn't go to summer school because it was the last year. So <laughs> I pushed myself and I actually graduated high school. But I don't put blame on my parents for anything. But they did push the school mm-hmm. thing. Like, hey, you know, you want to do this. You want to have your own business. So I went to Bristol Community College, took some classes, hated it. Mm go the entrepreneurship route. Mm -hmm. I'll take all these classes. It'll make it so I know what I'm doing and then I can maybe start my own business. That didn't pan out. Meanwhile, the question was to, for instance, my mom, who owned and operated her own business. You didn't even graduate high school. Why do I have to go to college? I'm like, why do I... (laughs) <laughs> I have to go to college in order to open my own business, but you can... Like, in other words, if I may? Yeah. May I? Like, okay, so, because I relate to this also, so neither yeah. of my parents, both of my parents began college straight out of high school, and they both flunked out and and got married and had me. And so that was also a question that I posed to both of my parents, and it was never a pleasant conversation, and it and there was never an answer. It, there yeah. literally was never an answer at all. It isn't even that there wasn't one that I found, yeah, zero worthy. Yeah. There was, yeah. So, but the question, yeah, was the same. It was so. Hold on. So you're telling me that there is one path, there yeah. is only this one path, and yet, may I remind you that neither of you took that path, and we are, yeah. you know, and yes, we started out really, really poor you know, really poor. Yeah. And now you are, because it was always made really clear to me that my parents' money was my parents' money and I would have to make my own bones. And, and that's fine. It's again, I'm saying that matter of factly. Yeah. That's just, that's what I grew up with. Um, 
you you are now incredibly successful each of you individually and both of you together you are solidly middle to upper middle class and you didn't yeah. take that path so how how is it that there's only this one path for me yeah what changed life is still life it, yeah yeah a hard worker still a hard worker yes absolutely so i mean so now i i tend to be i i tend to poke i poke yeah. I poke, I prod, and I um, really, like, I'm a rip the band-aid off, call it as I see it kind of person and let the Mm -hmm. chips fall where they may, and they don't always fall very nicely. Um, Frequently don't. So I would be like, (laughs) I mean, I really would raise hell over this, and I I would be like, this is total, this is total malarkey that you're you're presenting me with a lie that's completely ego-based. This is Mm ego-based. This is because you took a different path. You don't want to draw attention to the fact that you took that path. And I'm like a trophy child. You need, you need me. This, to follow this path. This path is the only one that will suit your ego needs so Mm -hmm. that you can make yourselves and the community in which you live feel that despite the fact that you didn't take a, a, a more upper middle class respectable path you can now cover that up and leave that behind and nobody will look at your the path you took because you can point to me and say well we did so well that you know my daughter she took took this she took the path i don't want to take the path i don't want to take the one you took either i you know let me figure it out which is why I yep. chose NYU instead of Columbia so I could be downtown yeah. <laughs> where I thought I would find my people and I was right about that and um and and figure it out and figure it out on my own terms. Yeah. That's always the boat I'm in on my own terms is always <laughs> the thing I want to do. Yeah. Sometimes it gets me in trouble. Some you know as Ditto. far as like well that was a major fail. I didn't do that. Well, good. <laughs> it wasn't the right way, <laughs> you know? but well, at least I screwed it up my own way. But it's mine. Yeah, it's mine. <laughs> it's my way to screw. It's it's my life. Yeah. It's my screw up. Right. And there's there's integrity. I think there's really yeah. high integrity in that. It's it's what I call an honest fail, you know. And and it's a it's a failure that I can learn more from if it was on my own terms, and I I'm more willing to take responsibility for it too. Yeah. I I find that I am much more apt to take responsibility for my bad choices and and take responsibility with humility whereas if i try and follow somebody else's path and i fail on somebody else's path my knee-jerk reaction really is to point the finger at them (laughs) really it's like well it's your damn path oh i didn't even use the chicken i swore and i didn't use the chicken oh it's okay you can swear it doesn't matter um (laughs) So, um, so yeah, but if I'm, if I'm doing my own thing and I, and I fail, it's much easier for me to learn from it. It's much easier for me to be humble about and own it. (laughs) And we can use those failures. Yeah. We can use those failures. If I'm failing doing something, and usually if I fail doing something that somebody else expects me to do, I probably fail because it's wrong for me. I yeah. probably fail because I'm so uncomfortable. It's so false. Yeah, it all goes back to the, what we were talking about with the with the kids in school. Mm-hmm. And I was telling you about uh, my son Lennon, and you can't just give everybody the same path. Mm-hmm. This isn't the path for everybody. Mm-hmm. This isn't you. You you just can't do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People have to find their own paths, and some people have an easier time some people 
obviously don't, but... But that's okay. Yeah, but that's okay. And it, it that needs to be more accepted that it's okay. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. There's, uh, it's, there's too much... Um, there's too much shame. Everybody's like, no, I haven't no, seen no. that. Yeah, no, I I'm haven't old. seen that in many, <laughs> oh many years. Don't talk to me about <laughs> old. I'm 50. The, I'm old. <laughs> the, rubbing of, the rubbing of the index fingers. No, but it's people. Tr- that's how people treat it. Yeah. They treat it like, no, no, shame on you. You didn't, you didn't follow, you didn't follow the path. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then if you fail at it, well, what'd you do wrong? Well, if I would have done it my way, everything would have been fine. <laughs> you would have just let me do it my way to begin with. Right. And we refine our ways if we allow ourselves to um, to take risks doing what we know is right for us. Yeah. I mean, we become better in the long run at doing whatever it is we're invested in doing. Yeah. If, we, if we take the risks and we allow ourselves to fail and then fail better. I love that expression. Fail yeah. better. Fail better fail better next time, fail yeah. better. You know, I mean, in the short term, it is not elegant. In the short term, it's awkward. Yeah. In the short term, it can be humiliating. In the short term, it's painful. But in the long term, we get wherever it is we are invested in going. Mm-hmm. We get wherever it is that's meaningful to us. Podcasting, playing the guitar, right? Yeah. Okay, writing, sculpting photographing okay we we will achieve some version of our own kind of success only if we fail fail better yeah and we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and humiliated well like you were saying about you you finally can call yourself a a sculptor a sculptor yeah i almost said sculpturist i like that i'll take that (laughs) thank you So how many, you know, how many times have you, tr- you did it and you assembled mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it didn't work out, but you, you fail, fail better, fail more better. You just, so you, that you to... was not a question, like a real question, right? That was not even really a rhetorical question. You were making a point, but can I, yeah. can I answer that as though it were yeah, an actual please. question? Yeah, yeah. How many times? Okay. I have no. <laughs> <laughs> Let me repeat that. I have no fucking <laughs> clue if um, every single sculpture assemblage I have made to date has or has not been a failure. Yeah. I, I I sit here before you right now and I am only a year and a few months into making assemblages, making sculptures. Only a few months into allowing myself to actually use the word sculptor, sculpture about myself and my work, right? And I have no idea, slightly over a year into doing this kind of artwork, whether any of the pieces that I've made are successes or failures. I only know what pleases me. I'm lucky enough to have an incredible partner who is... um, not only a really good person, um, a, a really good man, but an artist yeah. and really a a properly trained artist yeah. who achieved measurable success long before um, I ever tried my hand at, um, at anything artistic. Um, so, you know, he's trained went to um, undergraduate, graduate school. He has real skills. 
and also a really, really vast amount of art historical knowledge. Yeah. I think I have a good amount of art historical knowledge for someone who didn't study art mm-hmm. or art history, but his is exhaustive. And so I get a lot of feedback from him and um, he really believes in me and my work. And his feedback is fair and really, really valuable. I don't always listen to it, but no, that's not true. I always listen to it. I don't always follow it. Yeah. But it's really valuable. But his is really the only feedback that I get. Really. That's it about the sculptures. Yeah. So you say how many times, I think, I don't know if you put it in the past tense or not, how many times have you failed? Yeah. I have no idea. I don't know if every single one would be considered a failure. Um, some of the pieces are now being shown in um, in galleries. So I, I guess I would consider that validation. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a complicated relationship with the fact that I consider that validation, but I do. Um, I don't know how else outside of being in a university program of some kind, um, one gets feedback and validation. So, I mean, and I'm not going to go back to school at this point in my life. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm up to my neck in, um, student loan debt from Columbia at 50 years old. And I mean, I have an adolescent who's, um, yeah, and I and I carry the burden of that debt, so I'm not going back to school for anything. Yeah. Nobody would, I wouldn't be able to, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I mean, I don't, I don't know what what failure is. I I don't know how many times I'm failing at it, but I I know that this feels making the assemblages, making the sculptures is the most joy, the most artistic freedom it's the most angst free of the artistic practices that i have found so far i have pure joy assembling um in at a level or in a way that's extremely different from taking photographs and extremely different from writing so it's fun it's so, it's the most fun so in saying that is any of it a failure to you it's not, not. for me yeah. not for me at okay. all not at all i mean Every single piece, especially um, the further into it, this I get, is um, presents technical challenges because I have I bring no skill, I bring no technical skill into this yeah. whatsoever because I'm untrained. Yeah. <laughs> um, so learning as you go. <laughs> really, really winging it, really by the seat of my pants, and. Um, I get frustrated with myself really easily about the technical challenges because I see I see what I want to create so vividly, so clearly. And I usually, um, so I, I have a sculpture journal at this point. So I write, yeah. I mean, it's full of ideas and ideas for um, new series. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I can't keep up with, um, with the ideas. I can't keep up with the notebook pages. And they're so vivid in my mind. And I... I write them out in such minute detail the vast majority of the time. So when I actually go to assemble the vision, it's really frustrating because I don't have the technical skills to bring to bear. And um, so things take a lot longer for me. One piece takes me much longer than I imagine. And maybe I'm wrong, but I I have to think that I probably it would take me longer than someone who's got 
the technical skills. Yeah. And it's it's really like it's a long <laughs> process for me to figure out how the hell to put certain things together. Um, yeah. But I'm learning and I am acquiring those skills. But uh, but it's slow. And also, I mean, as we talked about before, and, and we have to keep on coming back to this because it's reality. We, you know, we both work. So, yeah. I mean, we support our families, or at least in part, you know, I mean, I support my family. And I have a really serious job. And yeah. it's really draining. It's not only in the sense that it's a full-time job, which it is, but it's a serious job. It's laden with responsibility. And being a parent is laden with responsibility. So it's, everything takes me much longer. Everything yeah. takes me much longer to bring to completion than it would if um, I didn't have all this responsibility. It's really yeah. hard. It's really hard. And it's really worth it. Yeah, being on autopilot takes up a lot of the time. <laughs> and, right? yeah, well, like we talked before about um, when you first arrived and um, I asked you, you know, how the drive was. And um, we talked about geographical distance versus psychological distance. Yeah. Right? So if I can bring the same sort of concept to bear on the toll that autopilot mode takes yeah. and, and, you know, s survival life takes, it isn't just the amount of time, but it's also the um, the psychological toll that it takes to have so much of, so many of your waking hours being in that autopilot mode, for me anyway, yeah. for me, I have to, it takes time to come down from that autopilot mode and get into the proper creative mental and psychological i would even say spiritual um flow yeah it, it it takes time to make that adjustment it's it's decompression i mean i hear so many people talking about how to um time management and how to be um an artist with a day job i mean there's even yeah. a book somebody gifted me that's on one of my bookshelves writer with a day job and and it's all about you know you just you just choose it's i mean the bottom line is you just choose you choose to yeah. take that time and and for me it is not that simple it is not that simple i do make yeah. the choice and the fact that i am producing actually really a good amount of work and i'm showing and i'm publishing yeah. So obviously I'm doing the work, but it is not as simple as, okay, so I'm just going to set the alarm earlier and get up earlier. I do that. I'm up at five yeah. every single day, seven days a week. But Matt, it doesn't necessarily mean that at 5.20 or 5.30 or 6 or 6.30, I'm in the right head Yeah. <clears throat> or yeah, psychological right state. Headspace. Oh, that it's hard for me to come. It's hard for me to make the adjustment because the gap can be, you know, yeah. abysmal. It can be like this abyss between the the two aspects of selves, and and there are things I need to do. There are rituals that I need to engage in to bridge that gap. Yeah, yeah. I think of like the the weight of responsibility, and you said decompress. Mm -hmm. I literally saw a weight lifted off and then you like your oh my whole pop, physiology changed yeah, you're right popping back into yourself like, oh there i am mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. can't i i can't do the same thing i can't go from work to home responsibility with at home mm -hmm. oh the kids are in bed oh now it's 
whatever time at night, and now I can work on my podcast, mm-hmm. which is a lot of the time spent on it is late at night because mm-hmm. there's really no other time that I right. can spend on it. Right. I'm not going to get up any earlier than I already do. Mm-hmm. And I have a rotating schedule at work, so that's that goes out the window I don't anyway. Know how you do that. that whole idea goes out the window. But it's things like this. I had this weekend off. We got lucky with the weather. We did. We did. <laughs> so and uh, I felt like I was taking up your time. I'm like, I really hope she doesn't have anything planned for this weekend because because we switched from one day to yeah, the other for the yeah, weather. Yeah. No, I'm so honored. I'm really, really, really honored that um, that you wanted to that you were willing to, that you were interested in interviewing me and you came all this way. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm hugely grateful. Yeah. So like you said, the decompression is so necessary to, mm-hmm. to switch from, it's not that easy. You can't just, oh yeah, well, you just wake up earlier, just go to bed later. Some people, I don't think, um, maybe it's non-artistic people that would present that idea to you. I think perhaps you are correct. You know, cause, because maybe they're uh, we're overusing the autopilot term, but maybe their whole life is autopilot where they have a day job and then they go to they go to their their work of maybe they're writing, but they're writing not to criticize self-help. Well, or <laughs> and they go, well, that's what I do. I go home from work and I write. Right. Right. Maybe you sit at a computer all day and write anyway. So maybe it doesn't well, bother you to right. just continue that path. Like whatever your personal project is, there isn't as much distance in between whatever mode right. you are operating in, let's just yeah, say, responsibility nine mode. to five, Monday through yeah. Friday, let's just say, yeah. responsibility mode. So yeah. there isn't that much distance between that mode and whatever mode you need to be in for your personal projects. Yeah. But I, I need to acknowledge that for me, there's a huge distance yeah. in between those two modes or those two aspects of self, whatever you want to call it, there's, there's a huge distance. And there are things that, I mean, at this point in my life, I know what I personally need to do, what I benefit from doing to bridge the gap. Yeah. And I really need to, and this is also not easy for me still, um, really not easy. I really need to claim that time and space and I really need to um, not be apologetic for it with my yeah. family yeah. and my family. Certainly I'm, I'm so blessed. I mean, it took me a really long time. I had my son late in, um, in life and, and very much alone, you know, um, and then found my partner after having my child, yeah. you know, years after having my child and I finally am so unbelievably blessed to have two people who totally accept not only all versions of me, my whole self, yeah. in and but they they really really not only accept but they honor all of the odd things that I choose to do and that I need to do to fully express myself. Yeah. So it isn't that they have a problem with or they require an apology from me for um, for taking the time for taking the space, but it's so ingrained in me to um, to be apologetic yeah. for doing what I need to do for me. Yeah, that well, isn't yeah. on the survival mode. That isn't absolutely necessary. So I mean, it's just the way 
it was inculcated in me from my earliest childhood that yeah. that you know you have a lot of nerve lauren you have yeah. a lot of nerve you're to do be, anything that isn't necessary you're going to be told you're selfish if you take time to do and anything for yourself yeah and i was well, yeah and there's nothing wrong with it that's the part that we have to i had to come, i had to come to that on, on the my same own. way yeah <clears throat> I'm the same. It's still word. hard. So okay. So I'm 50. I have an incredible family now. They they do not seek that apology, and yeah. yet I still struggle with it because it takes sometimes, you yeah. know, a lifetime to undo that and give ourselves permission. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm yeah, probably I'm... still going to walk in the house after you leave and say, "I'm I'm sorry." <laughs> yeah, I'm going to pull you home know? and say, "I'm sorry." And my wife's going to support me and go, oh, why? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's nice to have a supportive family. Yeah. I'm the same way. I have the same. My wife makes jewelry. and Beautiful jewelry. Thank you. Yeah. And um, she'd appreciate you saying that. And um, she, we do the same thing. We, we just, it's all, we try to manage the time where we're not taking it away. Number one, from the kids. We're not, mm -hmm. that's number one priority. But mm -hmm. We try not to take away from time that we have alone with each other because it's so sparse to, mm -hmm, <laughs> to mm -hmm. begin with. Mm -hmm. So we we tend to apologize <laughs> a lot for things that we shouldn't really have to. But then, you know, you brought up the kids first, um, which I also really relate to. And um, it's such a double-edged sword with the apologizing for me because I don't want to model that for my son. So, yeah. you know, so it's, it's, oh, it presents such a cognitive um, dissonance because I feel, I feel bad that I may have robbed my son of time. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So, therefore, I feel that I ought to apologize to him and I inevitably do. And then as soon as I hear myself apologize... Then another part of my brain kicks in and I'm like, wait a minute, you just modeled for him that one has to be apologetic. Yeah. And that to do what they love. Right. And that therefore there's some unspoken thing that must not be okay with it. And and you don't want to model that for him. So now you have to take back the apology. But wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you don't do that either. <laughs> yeah. It's a cognitive dissonance. Yeah. It is. So who are you inspired by as far as like artists go? Or anybody. Oh, now I'm going to kick myself. So I actually, um, I in anticipation of, um, of this topic, this question, I made a list of um, visual artists and I made a list of writers just this morning, early this morning in my journal. And I didn't bring my journal with me. I even put it out there to bring with me alongside my rubber chicken and my um, <laughs> cigarette and my masks. Um, oh, and I'm... I'm I'm really, really, really going to be disappointed that I'm I'm going to omit um, people who mean a lot it? to me. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah why not? Cool. <laughs> yeah, okay. Absolutely. And I'm not going to apologize. <laughs> yeah, don't apologize at all. No way. Okay. Gonna, I'll pause this. What thank you, thank you.
So we were just talking about where I grew up. I told you that I really like the physical town, but some of the people I don't like and some of the, the vibe. In terms place. of being small-minded and not, yes, yes. you know, exclusive, yeah. not inclusive. Yeah. 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 Um, and sheltered um, lives, sheltered mentality yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah. So I related not in terms of having grown up in a place like that, but in terms of moving to the Cape, it's felt like a, a compression and it's been hard to breathe until we moved just months ago to the Outer Cape. Is this? Do we even call this the Outer Cape? Is it the outer, the lower? I'm not even sure uh, where yeah, I am. Upper, upper and lower, and I always screw it up. <laughs> yeah, so do I. So, because you were a couple of wash ashores. For me, again, like my physiology changes. I, 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 my posture changes. My shoulders drop and stuff. And just as I approach the Rotary, Orleans and, and Eastham area. And just coming down here, I, I just, I feel in my body freer, easier. And for the first few years... My son and I lived here, so he was little yeah. when we first moved to the Cape, and I was I I put everything overtly creative on hiatus for years, so I wasn't doing any writing. I wasn't I wasn't taking photographs anymore. So those are things that I had been doing. I wasn't yet into assembling, sculpting, whatever. I was I was I was a mom. I was a teacher. And that was it. Yeah. I was surviving. I mean, yeah. I was a survival single parent. Mode, yeah. I was in survival mode deep, but I was also in absolutely being in love with motherhood and my child mode yeah. as well. Yeah. And and really wanted to give all of myself in, in that way at that time. And But my comfort level with living on the Cape and my entree, my way in to finding kindred spirits on the Cape has been through the arts. Yeah. Okay. So I don't want to say a lot of things that have been said so many times um, in so many words by other guests on your show and just in general in the culture. Yeah. When people talk about um, how they came to art, what art means to them in terms of being a lifeline and healing and all that, all, and all of that applies. I relate to all of that. But what I find really, really relevant to say to you now is that as somebody not from Cape Cod who really had a hard time fitting in and finding my way socially for those years when I was just in survival mode and I was just a professional and a mother, mm -hmm. I was so lost and I was starting to become really, really bitter really bitter. I developed such a chip on my shoulder for this place and the people I was encountering. And I had really, really some really nasty negative experiences just being me outside of my home in this place. And by this place, I don't mean where I live now on the Cape. This Logan and I would come for the day or for a weekend to the outer Cape and it would be like going on vacation. This was the vacation that I could afford at the time. Yeah. You know, we couldn't get off the Cape. We couldn't really go somewhere. But it was like a vacation for us to come down this way. Um, but where we were living, I just was not well received socially. It was really hard. Really, really yeah. hard. And my way in to really having some semblance of a rich life socially and feeling 
finding some sense of acceptance outside of that survival and autopilot mode and and um, kicking that into gear in order to relate to people and just being more authentically myself, which has been through the arts on Cape Cod. And I don't just mean through putting my art out there. Yeah. I mean through going to galleries, through making a conscious choice to seek out the artists and the artisans who are local and support them yeah. in some way. And I, I don't want to misspeak and uh, misrepresent myself. I am not someone who is in a position to give support financially. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't own a gallery. I don't, um, you know, I, I mean moral support and I mean, yeah. um, you know, using some of my hard-earned money to buy um, a piece from someone when I can to um, to gift to our family and yeah. um, to start to collect the work of the artists and the artisans, the makers on, on the Cape. It's It's been a conscious choice. It's It has been a socially and spiritually healing choice to make to, um, to chip away at the chip that I suddenly realized I had on my shoulder. Yeah. And it's made all the difference. It's made all the difference to, um, to try and find and be found by the odd people. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what we started talking about right at the beginning, as soon as we sat down here with the microphones about what you're doing, I really meant it when I said that I really think that I, I know that you're doing an important thing because yeah. people, whether they are um, new to the Cape, the so-called wash ashores like you and I, yeah. or <laughs> not, or not. Maybe it's even worse for people who grew up here. I don't know because yeah. this is all they've ever known. And, you know, I mean, the, part of the chip on my shoulder was that I know that the whole world isn't quite so exclusive. And I came mm. from much more diverse and inclusive places prior to being on the Cape. So it was really easy for me to be bitter and, (laughs) and, and have that chip on my shoulder because I was like, this is just, this is, yeah, (laughs) you know, I mean, um, what you do really does help people who may be disenfranchised and feeling alienated. Yeah. Well, it's good. It's good to hear. And it's reassuring because I worry about seeing people's uh, art and maybe reaching out to somebody that I don't know like you and them looking at me and I get worried about being judged kind of in the opposite way where somebody's going to say, well, this guy doesn't even have any art out in the world. He doesn't have his, his, what, what has he done? What does he know about it? Kind of like an imposter syndrome type of thing where I'm... Um, okay. I'm putting this out and I'm always talking about this is what you should do. This is what, you know, you should worry about these things. Don't worry about this. Everybody feels that way. Mm-hmm. But I worry about I have the imposter syndrome mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of somebody's going to go, who the hell are you? Mm-hmm. What do you think? Who are you to tell us this and that and the other thing? <laughs> you know, that's what I worry about. And I worry that I'm going to be told that to shut up and go away. Or I don't want to speak to you yeah, well, because you know, you're not legitimate you enough. Yeah, you're, you're not. Who the hell are you? You, don't, right, right, you right. don't do anything. You don't know anything. You're a brave. In, you are a brave person in my, <laughs> to put yourself out there. That's who yeah. you are. And 
Yeah, because and and then on top of it, and I'm not claiming that I'm any kind of um, quote unquote real artist or anything like that, but it's been an interest of mine my whole life. Art, music, everything. It's mm-hmm. it's you know that is the part of me that that's that's like a whole stream since <laughs> a very young age. It's your through line. It's, yeah, it, that's that's been the constant my whole life is mm-hmm. some sort of art, some sort of music, some sort of thing. I love talking to people about it. I love talking to learning about it. And that's my argument against it, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's it's it's reassuring to me to know that this that somebody can be like me and interest in it your whole life. Not to put words in your mouth, but um No, you're good. Like-minded people that have been interested in it and can experience it in the place that they live and it they didn't nobody said to you go away mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's it's reassuring to hear that not today <laughs> that i can i can experience more of it and not have that thought in the back of my mind that somebody's gonna tell me to leave <laughs> i mean that imposter syndrome is um is is real and it's really insidious and um I live with it in so many ways, in so many ways. I mean, that's the whole, can I actually call this a sculpture or, yeah, you know, right. and, and I don't have the, um, the technical training. I don't have, I didn't train as an artist. Um, and it goes on and on and on, but I feel imposter syndrome in lots of ways that are not even artistic. Um, but I do see podcasting, by the way, I just want to say this is an, an art form, isn't it? I, I believe that I it is. So. <laughs> I believe how, that it is. That's how I look at it. And I know others who acknowledge it as such. Um, you know, it's new. Yeah, it's new. Ish. So. There are so many people that do it, even since I started. And uh, I did have an. I, I talked about it on an episode, but um, it makes it. The more you see people that are good at it the harder it is to continue <laughs> doing it like all things yeah because yes. you're like, oh my god this one came out and you give it a try and you're like geez like that was their first episode and it's oh you can't you're like oh my oh, you god can't. <laughs> you can't help yeah. but do that and yet yeah. you can't go there you yeah. cannot go there don't you have an episode i saw yeah. it but i haven't listened to the <laughs> yeah. ab- about comparing yourself to yeah. others yeah it's deadly it's deadly it it's deadly absolutely it, it, and then, and that's the, that's one of the things I'm saying. I do it all the time, and yet I'm giving advice about not doing it. <laughs> but isn't that how? But isn't that how you gain legitimacy, Matt? Mm. Isn't that how we gain credibility, legitimacy, validity, whatever word you want to use? Isn't yeah. that how we, as we were saying before, get there, there, wherever our goal post is? Right? Yeah. I mean, just. By choosing to do it, even though there's always there's always an even though there's always a deficit, even for people who went to school, there's always some version of imposter syndrome. Maybe they didn't go to the best school, the right school, didn't yeah. make the um you know the right connections when they were there, didn't come out the gate running when they graduated. There there's always an even though, and and it's just persistence. I mean, I remember I had um. I remember my last in the writing program at Columbia, I had a visiting, um, a visiting professor who was also, um, pretty big agent 
not agent, sorry, um, editor, uh, with a really big publishing house. And he, um, long story short, he took me under his wing and he wound up getting me, um, a literary agent before when I was still an, an undergraduate, which was actually, there's a, like, there's an unwritten rule, at least in the academy, at least at, at Columbia, that, um, you know, you don't promote the undergrads like that. And, um, but he took me under his wing and I remember the, um, I remember it being midnight after our last crit and, um, I went last for the one-on-one with the professor and he said, okay, I'm, I'm going to give your thesis, this novella to, um, a friend of mine, a neighbor of mine. She's, um, a literary agent. And I, I think that, um, that you would be a good fit, the two of you, and she should represent you and at least, oh. um, and, and I remember he said, you know, like you, you have, you have the raw talent, you have this, you have that, but that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. You are nobody. You are one yeah. of so many people who have talent. Everybody's got talent. There are plenty of people. Yeah. You, you are only going to publish. You are only going to make a name for yourself, be successful if you persevere even though and never filled in the blank with whatever came next even though and I didn't persevere for a long time I got that agent I technically still have that agent I have a contract it's in a file in a box yeah (laughs) in a closet in my house and that agent um, didn't hear from me. I didn't return, you know, she signed me. She, she nurtured me for a little while until I dropped off the face of the earth. And for whatever reason, I just found it too hard to survive and be responsible and finish what I was working on at the time. I just, I dropped off the face of the earth. I stopped it. And, and I let those, um, I let the imposter syndrome, I let a lot of things get in my way. I took a really long break in my life and, um, it's hard to come back. It's, it's much harder to come back than maybe for me, than, um, than it was to be, um, persevering and pushing through, all of those, um, even those, and what ifs, and all that. The, yeah. the imposter syndrome is, is consistent barriers that you would have had to go through if you. Yeah. 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 It takes right. a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to approach people that you don't know to do the podcast. Yeah. It takes a lot of courage to keep putting work out there when you're not in a program. You know, I mean, like a graduate program or you're not in school. You don't have anybody giving you, you know, you're not in crits. You're not in a residency. You don't, um, you're, you're just putting your work out there. I mean, you're maybe paying to, um, for, for submissions to juried shows. It's, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of energy, courage, and nerve. Yeah. It does. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, right. and you create your own, I guess where I'm going with this is you create your own legitimacy. Yeah. You just keep doing it, whatever it is. You keep on doing it until suddenly you find that you've been doing it now for a while. Yeah. 
and people are paying attention. And so now you can actually say, I am a fill in the blank. Yeah. I am a podcaster. I am a musician. I am an artist. Yeah. I am a writer. I am. Yeah. How do you know? Who told you? Well, I've, I've, I've been, been doing, doing it. Here's yeah, my resume. Here's, yeah, I've been you know, doing it. I mean, here's the yeah. list of episodes. Right. Here are the list of shows I've been in. Here, you know, here's my body of work. You know, that's um, something I respect of uh, my wife because she, you know, how the world is now with like social media and people go for the likes and the follows. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She has a certain, I don't know how many people she has following her on like Instagram. Okay. She takes great pride in the fact that they all follow her through no like promotional mm -hmm. thing. She's not like trying to get followers. Mm -hmm. These people all follow her because they like what she makes. I follow her. I like yeah. what she makes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, she has a, a very strong legitimacy. I, I There's an integrity she, to that. Yeah, she too, has. She which is, is an, a whole other thing. Because I'll do that on, you know, social media. I'll follow similar accounts to things that I like. Mm -hmm. And in hopes that they might follow me back as well, maybe they see that you know I yeah, do that. Yeah. So I don't have as much integrity as my wife, I guess. But um. Oh, I quibble with that. I disagree with that. But it's it's you know only because I'm trying. Uh, I mean, I always have my own reasons for doing things on social media. But it's only because I'm trying to get in these people's ears. Mm -hmm. I see a group of artists that are, you know, they're sketch artists or something like that. For example, I'll say, you know, I'm going to try to like a lot of their stuff and see if, see, maybe they, <laughs> the attention well, comes yeah, back. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're trying to get their yeah, attention. Yeah, so it's it's more of a, I'm hoping for a more back and forth type of thing. But, but see, I still feel like there's integrity to that because I don't, I see that as the method of getting a person, an artist's attention as the 21st century, especially during COVID version of going to a gallery opening and approaching the artist or artists and remarking on the works they have in yeah. the show. Physically liking uh, somebody's. Right. Like, <laughs> or, you know, like know. tapping that heart and giving a, an Instagram, yeah. let's say like to a number of pieces. How is that? How is that really different from approaching an artist at an opening and pointing to several pieces of work and saying what you like about it. Yeah. Or... Well, I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> but really, I mean, how, well, do you, how um, else do you get to know people yeah. who, especially during the pandemic, you can't go to their opening in most... in, in Right. Well, at least in my version of, of the pandemic. Yeah. You know, I mean, or, or people who are far flung. You know, people who aren't local. Yeah, right. You know? True. Um... How else do you get to know people? How else do you get their attention? Yeah, true. You're not... I, I, I... And there's so many artists and people on Cape Cod and that South Coast area where, you know, I, between here and where I grew up. There's so many artists and people I want to talk to mm -hmm. that I haven't gotten their attention. But yet they have my attention mm -hmm. <laughs> and they have no clue that I exist. And it's, uh, you know, that that's it's so hard to... To know where the line is between, like you said, about being legitimate. I don't know if I'm legitimate enough or seem seemingly be, seemingly seem to be. Like, <laughs> you don't know how you look to other people. I don't, yeah, out I don't. There. Know, I can't just 
type a message to somebody or find their email and say, I'd like to have you on my show. And then I have no idea how they're going to look at me and see, mm-hmm. hmm, is he legitimate? Is this just some random dude that drives around in a bus? You know, <laughs> like, do we really, do I really want to get in a bus with some random guy? But your you work know? speaks for itself. This isn't your first rodeo, so to speak, right? True, yeah. I mean, you, you now have a body of work. So, I mean, yeah. someone can Google the Odd People podcast and all your episodes yeah. come up. So that's all the legitimacy, to my mind, that you need right there. If yeah. you if this were your first, if you were trying to get your first gig, your first interview, yeah. then everything you just said, um, yeah, would would really, really it's, be particularly true. You would be just some guy in, you know... Some kind of a camper, a right, <laughs> yeah. or a bus, or whatever. But you're not. You're not. You have enough yeah. under your belt, so you have a body of work. This. Yeah, it's the imposter syndrome. Yes, it's, yes, that's all it really is. So you you mentioned artists um, around, right? Who you yeah. are interested in, and you mentioned um, Fall River mm-hmm. at one point when you were trying to explain. Yeah, that's where, where, yeah, that's where we uh, lived. Yeah. So I'm going to hit you with some names. Yeah, because b- b- yeah, before we took a break, I asked you uh, who who inspires you. So okay, now you have your journal. I do. <laughs> if, if we can, I do. I do. I'd love to hear. Okay, so there are so many people, and I'm not going to read them all, but I will start with a few who are in Fall River, and I think doing really interesting things. Okay. So there's Harry Gould Harvey the fourth, and his partner Brittany Ann Harvey, and they actually started Fall River Mocha. Okay. And I am extremely inspired by the work that each one of those artists is doing individually and I'm incredibly inspired by their collaboration with the Fall River Mocha which I have yet to um travel to and enter and I've only seen on Instagram but that's just because of the way that I manage the pandemic at this time. There are the New York artists Catalina Uyang is a New York artist, is a sculptor who I have an extremely strong, visceral, emotional reaction to um, what she's doing in her work. She's extremely courageous in the sculptures that she is um, creating and I think really unique and extremely technically skilled and brilliant brilliant. Aphrodite Navab, another New York artist who I truly admire and respect. There are a few artists. Aphrodite Navab is one. I think Catalina Uyang might be one. I'm not sure about her, but Susan B. and Mira Shore, they are all with or show at, are, are part of the AIR gallery in, um, in New York which is um, an all-women gallery, been around, I believe, since the 70s. And um, I just have enormous, enormous respect for for all of them. Molly Lamborn, who I was in a residency with over the summer, is um, a British artist whose work I think is compelling, provocative, brave, really brave. It's mostly um, sculptors, actually, that I have on the list. There's Rowan Renee, there's Daniela Dooling, Ollie Greer. On the Cape, there's Heather Bloom. There's Sono Kuwayama. And these are all sculptors for the most part? For the most part. For the most part. Yeah. 
um, photographers, Sherry Curlin. There's Rena Dweck. I mean, there are so many. I could go on and on and on. Do you ever get inspired by somebody else's work and immediately want to create? Oh, all the time. Yeah. All the you time. You see theirs and you go, that's it. I got to go. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> okay. I just mentioned. Yeah, I got to get to it. Yeah. That's why they're on my list. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, when you say who inspires you, there are a lot of artists whose work I like, even love, but they don't necessarily inspire me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are actually people I wrote down on my list who I didn't mention because, um, so they, they made the list because I truly believe that they are great. I love and respect their work, but I guess we have to define our terms, right? So for me, when you say inspire, um, my definition of inspire is exactly what you just said. Yeah. When I see these <clears throat> artists work. Yeah. I want to get in there. I, I, I get really antsy. I can barely keep my seat. I almost am frustrated that I went ahead and looked at their work when I was not in a position to <laughs> jump up <laughs> and create something myself. Yeah. That's that's inspiration, yeah. right? So, I mean, to inspire from, um, what is it, the Greek? You know, to breathe life into. Those are the artists that breathe life into me. There are so many other artists whose work I love and, and respect deeply and uh, who, whose work I think is masterful. Yet they don't have the quality of making me want to jump up and um, create, yeah, create myself. Yourself, yeah. okay. That's inspiration to me. Yeah. 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 How about photography? Back when you had started, um, when that was like your main focus of photography, was was there any one person that you saw their work and you were like, "This is it. That's I, I need to do that. I need to." It fed it fed ideas into your mind. Mary Ellen Mark, the first, I believe it was five photography books I ever spent money on were all Mary Ellen Mark. There are a handful of others that I'm not even going to say because I just feel like it's trite. Like <laughs> they're they're yeah. so they're so obvious and they're they're yeah. just touchstones in in photography yeah. and um, but I have to say that Mary Ellen Mark's work. Um, affected me in a way that, again, it, it her work inspired me. Yeah. Her her work affected me in a way that made me um, not only want to get out there with my cameras, but made me feel like maybe I could, and and definitely made me feel like I should. There yeah. was it, it. Her work somehow gave me a sense of urgency. Of right. urgency, right. which um, puts a different kind of an intensity behind inspiration. Catalina Uyang's um, sculptures do that for me. There's a sense of, yeah. I think her, um, her pieces and her um, series are so raw. And the autobiographical material that go into her pieces and her series are so profoundly real and honest mm -hmm. that that's 
there's an urgency to her work and it ignites a sense of urgency in me. Now, this is an artist who is, I think, probably has got to be significantly younger than me, probably half my age. But she has got an integrity of courage and honesty to her work that I aspire to. And that I have not reached in my visual art. But I feel like I'm ready for. Yeah, you can feel it. Yeah, I do. And I'll probably fail and fail spectacularly (laughs) (laughs) what, you know, as, as I start to create from that place and I welcome that at this point in my life. Yeah. If not now, when? And then you'll feel better. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I trust. I trust that I will. Yeah. Yeah. We looked at your pieces. We looked at what you have in the house, in the living room, on the wall. Yeah. And I think they're great. I feel like there's, um, I don't want to literally mean layers, but I feel like there's a lot of layers to your work where it needs so much more time than I spent looking at them. You know, I feel like I can stare at it Thank all you. day. <laughs> you know, I, you. I don't know if that's, if it makes sense. Like, it's I, hugely I don't, gratifying. I don't want, because it's, because we're on audio, this isn't visual, so it's hard to explain that. I think people understand me when I say there's layers to it. It's not mm-hmm. literal layers. I'm not trying to look past things. But there's 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 so much going on, but in a good way, and there's so many different um, interpretations. Obviously, whoever's looking at it's gonna interpret it the way they see it. Mm-hmm. And um, I like that one you said it was one of the last ones that you posted on Instagram with the fans. Yes, yeah, such yeah. a great description of that. Can you describe uh, who's who's um, uh, yeah, poetry okay. that was on there? Okay. So, um, yes, this is the last thing that I posted on, um, on Instagram and this is, um, it, well, the working title, it's a finished piece, but the working title, I don't know that I'm going to stick with this is Ode to, um, John Wieners and John Wieners is actually a poet who is very, very dear to my heart and important to me, um, whose work I just, I return to again and again and have for a really long time. And John Wieners, um, so for those listeners who may know his um, his biography and, and um, much better than I do, if I misspeak, forgive me. But what I know of the poet John Wieners, who is no longer living, is um, he, so he was, by my measure of um, literary success, very successful. So he was, you know, um, published quite a lot. And... Um, his work indoors, um, you know, you can can buy his books on Amazon and and um, and yet during his life, although he was you know he was teaching, he was publishing, he was speaking, um, John Wieners was hugely not only marginalized but also um, ostracized and even institutionalized at um, a number of times in his life and labeled variously as um transgressive um but but in a, a very derogatory way and even mentally mm. ill because mostly because of his being out as a gay man mm. and um perhaps seen as flamboyantly so and 
you know, he struggled with poverty. He struggled with um, being perceived as um, mentally ill and, and mm. definitely um, being what we in the 21st century would um, perceive as, as mentally ill. That's a whole other subject that I take issue with, our, our definitions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So anyway, so John Wieners, um, I'm intrigued by his biography and the struggles of his life and, and his um, sort of powerful fragility as a person and as a poet. And I also just love his writing. So I did a series of um, what I call conversations with, um, I don't call them um, erasures anymore because erasure is a very specific kind of poetry in which you erase, you delete um, certain words in the poem and you selectively keep certain words and then those words that remain form a new poem. So that's an erasure. So you are literally just going through and erasing. Go ahead. And thank you for explaining that because you said it in the house when we were looking at that piece and I'm like, I don't know what that means. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Excuse me, rather. Um, Okay. (laughs) No, but that's... Okay, so that's like an erasure. So, I mean, if we just took like your Uh t-shirt, because that's the only thing that has writing other than the journal in front of me, right? If if we were going to do an erasure of the Odd People podcast or Odd People podcast, so, I mean, this... Well, this is terrible, but what I'm about to do. But just, I mean, if you just erased people and you erased pod and then you just wound up with odd and cast and you kept only odd and cast, that would be an erasure. So I'm not saying that that's a good one or an interesting one or a creative one, but that's just, I mean, okay, that is literally an erasure. But what I've done with these poems is um, I've not only erased certain things, but I've scrambled in certain poems, I haven't erased anything, but I've scrambled and I have also inserted original um, lines of my own poetry. And I've, I mean, I, I have a lot of nerve and I've inserted them mm-hmm. into John Wiener's poems, which have already been scrambled. In some cases, I've actually taken um, another poet who was a friend of his um, or a colleague at any rate, um, Frank O'Hara is one, and I've um, scrambled a John Wieners and a Frank O'Hara and created something new and then inserted some of my own original yeah. poetry as a third voice. So I call them yeah. conversations with. Yeah. And so I took four of these conversations with John Wieners poems and I hand wrote them without trying to be too careful or too neat. I just, I hand wrote them on the back of old, and they really are old, all of them, um, fans, you know, the mm-hmm. kind of fans. Well, I know you know because you saw yeah. them in Like an expandable fan. Thank like, you. Uh, I don't know, manual. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to You'd explain it You'd hold it in it your either. hand and fan yourself, yeah. yeah yes, the yes. Expanding fan. Right, yeah. so they fold up. when you're not using them and then they expand when you want to fan yourself and there's beautiful decoration on one side that's the side that you will hold out to the world and the side that ostensibly faces you is um not decorated so i wrote the lines of poetry a line on each um segment of the the back side of the fan and then i drilled all of these fans i think there are four on the piece in odd ways that um, 
might to some people and definitely to me resemble um, wings. Like there's mm-hmm. a, there's there's yeah. a definitely a sense of flight and, and motion, I think, I hope. Um, so I, I drilled the fans onto a purse that um, that Nate bought me a few years ago in a thrift <laughs> store that itself was made out of um, a, a a very nice, very thin cigar box. Okay. Um, and it's funny because I you said purse, and I'm like, was it a purse? I thought it was a cigar box. Yeah, it was. It's okay. a cigar box purse. All right, cool. Okay, and so it hangs from the strap, yeah. and um, and the and the the cigar box purse is open, and it's the whole piece is meant to sway and move and the viewer is meant to walk around it yeah and look at it from as many angles as possible you would have to walk around it and look at it from various angles if you were at all interested in reading any of the yeah. lines of poetry that are written on the backside of the fans um and the way the fans the way the folds are um, arranged in the fans, it's it's difficult to read the poems in the lines of the poems in sequence unless you are moving, mm-hmm. moving your whole body, moving your head. And so what a viewer needs to do in order to literally read the work, read the work, the written work that's inscribed mm-hmm. on the art piece, what the viewer needs to do to read it is they need to reposition themselves over and over and over again. And for me, that's a metaphor for really the work that we need to do as individuals in order to really understand anyone, Mm -hmm. anyone else, anyone else in the world to really understand someone we are constantly changing our our position yeah in time in space within ourselves we are having to um move there's movement in order to see everything that's there and i feel like that's part of the tragedy of john wiener's life life, which is one of the reasons that um, I would create this kind of a piece that's an ode to him. So I feel like the society that he came up in and that he was a poet in um, was not agile enough to um, move to accommodate his oddities yeah. or his perceived oddities, his differences. Yeah. What what time frame did he live? So... Um, you said he's passed away now. Yeah, I... Th- I think that he was probably um publishing his books in from the 60s through the 80s i'm gonna totally butcher this i'm you're gonna have listeners that are like wrong yes yes wrong it's all right (laughs) but um yeah but i mean that time frame like as you described him i can imagine it was hard for him to do anything mm -hmm. publicly as like an outed gay gay man. He was considered a pervert. And some of his written work was considered perverted. Mm. And I mean, I think there's a big difference between that which is perverted and that which is perverse. And I'm, you know, yeah. I, I don't condemn either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As long as nobody's being hurt, you know. Yeah, right. Really. Yeah. True. 
But so, um, so what I had said to you in the house when we were looking at that piece is, you know, I chose the fans, not only because of the repositioning, I actually don't think I said any of this in the house, um, with regard to the repositioning, but that I, I think what I said in the house is that I chose the fans because they were already worn and broken in many places. And I knew that if I applied the pressure that I would need to apply to write with a ballpoint pen on the back of these fans, I would also puncture and, um, you know, rip a a new and you said uh, very purposely. So they're all broken. Yes. And you were the one that broke them <laughs> for the most part. In, in in many ways. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I like that one. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, there's, um, it's an ode to his powerful fragility and that of, um, of his work. And that's also something that I aspire to, that kind of powerful fragility and being um, unapologetically oneself. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have your work... Um on display anywhere right now i do um well actually <laughs> well, uh, said, today is the day that the uh, day, the, right? yeah so i've been in um in a good number of shows well especially over the last year but even over the last um months i have five big photographs um that are being taken down today at katuit center for the arts and i'm submitting to a show there tomorrow we're dropping off some things there tomorrow so um we'll see fingers crossed that i get uh, something in Katuit has been very, very good to me since I started showing on the Cape. We could do this for 10 hours. It doesn't make a difference. I do. I do worry about talking too much because I am on the one hand talking a lot. And on the other hand, because being too much has become an issue since I've been on the Cape. I'm always worried about being too much yeah. with the way that I dress, the way that I talk with some of the things that I do with my art pieces, with the photography. You know, I mean, I really wanted to make sure that I drew your attention to at least one quote-unquote straight photograph. Nate can relate to this also. We don't do what would be considered like cape art, neither of us. Yeah. And we just don't. It's not who we are. It's just not who we are. And so every once in a while, there is this... And it is with, I'll be honest, for me, it's with something of a chip on my shoulder. It'll be like, okay, I'm going to do something that is really straightforward and traditional. And just to show that it isn't that I can't. Yeah. Right. It isn't that I can't. Right, yeah. So I'm going to show you that I can just shoot a photograph straight and even do the darkroom work and not do anything to it, not, not, and I don't mean in terms of like using digital manipulation because that's really not my thing. Although I just started playing with that recently, really recently, but it's, um, but every once in a while I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do something straightforward just to show that I can. Yeah. And then I'm going to go right back to doing what I want to do and Please let somebody understand that what I'm communicating here is I choose to produce the kind of work that I produce. And that goes with my writing, too. And it's really an issue with the writing because I have found that the literary world is not and hasn't been for a while um, as there isn't as much room for writing. Not as forgiving. To be maximalist, not as forgiving, but I want to be really specific. I have 
been engaged in what would be considered a maximalist writing project for the last bunch of years, especially the last few years, especially during the pandemic. It is right for me under the circumstances of my life at this time in this place. And it's even more right since the pandemic hit. And I insist on the rightness of this kind of maximalist writing style. And I insist on asserting the long history of maximalist writing in the history of literature mm-hmm. in in fiction and in poetry. And it isn't in vogue. And it is not only is it not in vogue at this time, but it's very much looked at as bad writing. Mm. And yet in the arts, maybe not maybe not widely on Cape Cod where we are, although there are places that yeah. um, show, you know, sort of non-Cape art. There definitely are. I mean, my work is being shown. Nate's work is being shown. So yeah. there are places. Yeah. Okay. Um, for sure. And we love them. We're so grateful. <laughs> but it, it's it's much more, the, the visual arts are much more accepting of um, maximalism. Yeah. And newness of form and um, really brave, raw, or even, yes, angry content. It has its place. Yeah. And so um, I haven't done it since the summer, but I started um, recording some of my poems um, Mm -hmm. using, I think it's clip art on my phone. Okay with um weird backgrounds and distorting um my my image and um, me reading a poem and i i'm trying to and i'm coming to um soon to finding ways to include my writing in my art pieces because there's just more of a place for the literary maximalist oddness in the art world than there is in um, publishing right now. Then again, but there are there are places to publish um, that kind of writing as well. They're out there. Yeah. Um, and I just got, I would say, my absolute most unwieldy and oddest poem picked up and it's, it's you know, hitting newsstands April 15th, High Shelf Press, and I'm very excited about it, like over the moon, very excited about it. Thank you very much, High Shelf Press. Like, really, really thank you. And... Um, it's, I mean, it's my most out there poem. And of this most recent project, it's it's the first one to um, to get published. So look at that. You know I will. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thanks. Everybody else, look at that. I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, yeah. I, I didn't really mean it that way, but thank you. No, yeah. but I mean, I mean, you know, yeah, is, no. isn't that? I mean, I mean, just when. Um, just when I was like, okay, I, I need to now sit down to write something really straight just to show that I can, because I'm getting, mm-hmm. you know, um, the self-doubt is just brutal. It's just brutal. Yeah. And, um, and, and just the need to prove myself, just the need to show just as I do, like with the photographs. Um, no, yeah. I can, I can write a straight narrative. I can write a minimalist 
poem. I just don't care to. But let me show you. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that for you now just to show that I, yeah. I know I have the chops. But it isn't what I'm feeling right now. Construction. I know. Is it getting closer? Or is it just me? I don't. I think it's tree removal. So it's just annoying me more. So (laughs) I I think you might be right, though, because they're they're doing a lot of tree removal. So that is something that um, like the town is doing, not just homeowners. So it it might be getting closer. So I think the the guys that work for the town must be happy because they're working on a Sunday and probably making more money. Yes. (laughs) I know. We'll do that ruin on Sunday. Your art seems it seems bold to me. How it's, um, I guess it goes back to the layers and that sort of thing, where it's it's not very minimalist. It's not very, here it is. One-dimensional. Like you said, it's not one-dimensional. It's not yeah. Cape Cod art. There's a wave. And a, <laughs> a wave it's in the beach. It's not decorative. It's not yes. decorative. So I also don't want to disparage Cape Cod art. Yeah, no. I... Um, but it is just, it's something else. It is something yes. else. So, and... And I do appreciate the decorative arts and, um, you know, I'm I'm not a maker of decorative arts, but I am sometimes um, a buyer of decorative pieces, but that definitely isn't what I do. Yeah, it's not what you create. Right. I, um, I always err on the side of more extreme stuff. Kind of with everything, <laughs> like the the music I listen to, the art that, you know, the art I would have would make, if I made a lot of art, but I I don't. Um, I often sometimes think, you know, maybe I should, because uh, I I like to do some woodworking. I think I'm gonna mass produce a bunch of this, you know, and um. I'm smiling because I just heard you talk about this yesterday. And it always yeah. it always comes up that I don't like. I get part way into it and I go, I really don't like doing mass production of any kind. And I have a few pieces that I've made in the house that are that are perfect for our house. They f- literally fit in spaces in our house that we could not go to the store and buy something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that. And that's it. You know what I mean? And, and I, was yeah. like, I could never remake that piece where it would make any sense <laughs> for a normal house or anybody else's house. And... I've come to realize that and find that out later, you know, as in the age I am now, that if I ever come across the things I want to make and the things I decide to make, it's, they're going to be one-off pieces. They're going to... That's exactly how it just went in my head. One-offs. Yes. Unique. Yeah. I don't, I don't like, and that's not against any, anybody that does that. Oh, it's just not... And it's just... Your thing. You're just as talented for making mass production... Yes, but in a different your way. your art. You know I mean? You want to make your art, but you want to make a lot of it. It's still your art. Absolutely. But I... I, I agree with you where I, I can't... I can't... I'm not wired that way. Yeah, that's I'm not all. wired that's that all. way. Exactly. I'm just not that's wired exactly that way. That. I, I'm yeah. not wired that way either. And <laughs> it has to be it. okay. So the chip on my shoulder is not... And, and I'm trying to chip away at that chip. And it's and there's a lot of progress over the last year. It's you know, um, by virtue of being brave enough to reach out to people who are doing what they love and being, you know, fulfilling their artistic um, visions mm-hmm. and, um, and yearnings and supporting them. 
and making contact with them and also getting my stuff out and um, it's chipping away at that chip. But that chip isn't about judging work that's not like mine. Then I would be a hypocrite, right? Then I would, it, it's, it's about um, the sense of despondency and alienation that comes about when you haven't yet found people or places that are willing to accept, to include things that are different from whatever they're used to seeing. Yeah. Or that judge, you know, it's it's hard to embrace somebody who doesn't embrace you. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. It's a matter of inclusivity. So some people are wired that way. There's a place for them. I'm wired this way. I need there to be a place for me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I feel the same way. That's... You know? We keep going back to the imposter syndrome thing, but... Yeah. Well, I do anyway. That's, I'm with you. I think I'm with that's, you. that's the part of it that I... That the imposter thing kicks in because... I make a bunch of stuff... For instance, and then, uh, you know, I'm using myself as an example. I'll make a bunch of things and go, I don't want to show anybody this because nobody's going to get it. Nobody's going to like it. Somebody's going to just go, hey, well, what the hell is that? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and then you just, I uh, I almost have the feeling of I'd rather not show anything at all mm -hmm. than deal with the criticism or the judgment of not being in their group. Mm -hmm. I'm being excluded and I, this was my way of trying to get in, and they said no. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, nope, never mind. I'll just, I'll just have a house full of my own stuff. <laughs> never. Yes. It will never leave the house. It'll never leave the studio space, or however you want to put it. Yes, I totally, totally, yeah. I totally relate to this. And this is what I mean when I say it. Like, I look back at the last couple of years, and, um, and the shows that I've been in, and all of them, all of them, 100 percent of them. Now I have to stop and think, is that accurate? It has to be. <laughs> That's accurate. So all of them have been juried shows that I have had to submit work to. Because that's the point that I'm at in my career. That's fine. That's that's yeah. the way I, that it goes. That's how this goes. So you have to submit. You have to pay. Okay, I so I have to pay. the level of stress. <laughs> so, okay, so... <laughs> that stresses me out just thinking about it. Okay, so, yeah. you know, listeners, I am, you know... I am at this point in my life, I am a 50-year-old who is still, I mean, this is the point I'm at in my, in my art career. I am submitting, I'm paying to submit X number of works. And I will submit, I will pay to submit the maximum number of works in yeah. most cases, not all, but most cases, that they will allow me to submit. And you pay per piece and you send the work in mostly electronically. Mm -hmm. Sometimes with some places on the Cape, very few in my experience, well, like with um, the the um, the gallery, Katuit Center for the Arts, that we're dropping off to tomorrow, um, they will, and I'm very grateful, very grateful for the drop-offs with the sculptures because I don't think 
I'm at the point where I'm able to take really good pictures of the sculptures. I don't think I do a lot of the pieces justice with the photographs. They really need to yeah. be seen. So it's it's a relief to be able to drop off yeah. so the the juror can actually see the piece. But in any case, so the process, so I have shown in a whole bunch of shows, but it's nerve wracking every single time, as you just suggested. And I got to tell you, it's costly. And yeah. Sure I, there's also like that that guilt that we were talking about earlier, taking time away from our families and stuff. Every time I submit to a show, and if they allow me to submit 10 pieces, I usually submit 10 pieces, and I'm paying per piece, and not all of them are going to get in. Yeah. You know, never. In most cases. In most cases. And I feel like, oh my God, this is money that I'm taking away from my family. So I have to think carefully about yeah. every show that I enter. And I mean, I have had people, you know, suggest, you know, like that maybe at times I'm starting to maybe feel too um, good for submitting to certain shows or mm. certain places. And I think people really need to understand. I think twice, I think three times before submitting to quite a lot of shows because yeah. it costs money to be rejected. And even when I get into a show, if I, because I, you never know what the juror is looking for. So it yeah. is, isn't even necessarily the case. I understand at this point in my life and in my career and from knowing other artists and becoming friendly with some gallerists on, on the Cape and off of the Cape that um, there are times when they really like my work and they would really like to show some of my work, but it just doesn't fit in. This is a whole other subject that drives me nuts. It doesn't fit in with yeah. the show that's going up. It doesn't fit in with the body of work that's coming from everybody else who has submitted. Or some things might be too controversial, mm. too provocative. So, um, so work sometimes doesn't get into a show, not necessarily because it's a value judgment, yeah, it's a matter of context. It doesn't fit yeah, the context in, yep. for whatever reason. But even when I get work into a show, if I submit 10 pieces and two get in, and I feel lucky that the second two got in, I just paid to have eight rejected. I hate to use that word, I, I, but, they're, yeah. but they're rejected. They didn't get in. It's, there are times, there are times when it's just, it's draining. It's exhausting. And sometimes yeah. I just need to take a break from submitting at all. Sometimes because I don't want to spend the money on, yeah. on the submissions. And sometimes I just would rather, um, especially when I'm doing something that's really new. Really, like with the sculptures and um, one of the photographic series and definitely with the writing, I just need to hunker down and create and be really, really left alone to not think at all about how something is going to be received. When I create, yeah. I can't think about how something is going to be received. Yeah. When I put things out there, yeah, then, that, the, then of the course, time to worry about it. Right, right. But if I'm really, really in um, a period of flow and creation, I'm probably not going to submit it as much, if at all. Yeah, yeah. You don't want that. You don't want the thought of. Uh... How is somebody else going to perceive it? You want to make it for you and yeah, create. <laughs> also, without, without the thought of anybody else popping into your mind at all. Right, and and also if I'm really working on something, especially if I'm working on a series. Right now, I've got several series going on um, 
And so anything that is, so they're all works in progress. So I can't submit something that's still being worked on. That's not finished. Right. Mm. So what would I be submitting? I would be submitting work that is to me old and I'm not excited about right now. Yeah. So I, I kind of, I, I don't want to submit something that I'm not excited about because it's hard for me to imagine it's going to excite anybody else. Yeah, so I right. would rather wait until I, I finish at least some of the things that are in um, the new series that I am excited yeah. about right. and get, get those babies out there, <laughs> see how they fly or, or, yeah. you know, or not. Yeah. To me, it's, um, I get in moods like that where I won't listen to anything on my like ride to work. I won't listen to any old podcast or any of anything I've done or anybody else's stuff because I don't want somebody else's ideas to pop in my head. Mm -hmm. If I'm writing a bunch of, I go through spurts of typing a lot mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. writing a bunch of episodes. Sometimes the title of the episode doesn't match the rest of the episode and I have to change the title after the fact because I have a, a thought in my head, oh, I'm going to talk about imposter syndrome and it'll <laughs> turn into something entirely different. But mm -hmm. Uh, if you let it, which I love about you because you do. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot of musicians, when they write a new record, they can't be on tour because they're playing all their old stuff that everybody yeah. knows. So they have to wait until the end of a tour to write. Others, you know, are the opposite and write constantly all the time. But I can, I can imagine I wouldn't be able to put out old work without having a, a, a new set finished a new collection i can agree with what you said i guess yeah yeah i got you <laughs> long story short i agree with you these are the off-topic questions <laughs> that i want to ask i actually love that i love um, that they're off topic but they're not off topic mm -hmm. um so if you could collaborate with any artist past or present oh who who would you like to collaborate with i'm already self-censoring in my head so let me not do that yeah don't do that yeah yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> you're saying past past, past or, or present, present. So, so anybody 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 okay in history of the world that we know of <laughs> okay um so louise bourgeois the sculptor was the first that she's the one i self-edited i was like don't say that that's too pretentious and it's too but it's true so yeah so her cool. the sculptor nikki de Saint-Fal who is a French um, sculptor whose work is hugely inspiring to me recently. My partner, Nate. Yeah. Nate Olin. Well, that could be done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that could be yeah. good. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's also, so there actually, there is an artist on Cape who's just a few towns over, who, um, Laura Lee Flanagan, who is on the list that I read from previously, who, um, who I've never met. Mm -hmm. So I know her from um, from Instagram, and um, I know that she, you know, we know some of the same people um, in the art world on the Cape, and I like um, what I've seen her put up, not only in terms of her own, I guess, past work, but um, which I her photography, which I like very much, but I also just like her sensibility and what seems like her sense of humor and way of looking at the world. She and I are trying to um, to get together and take a beach walk to talk about collaborating, and I'm very excited about that. Cool. So That's I hope awesome. that happens very soon. That's awesome. All right. Yeah. Here's another question. It's 
it's a little more ridiculous. But if you could be any animal, <laughs> what would you be? So, um, so my um, I'm drawn to um, creatures of the air, so birds, and my power animal bird changes from phase to phase of my life and you're asking this at a very interesting time because it has just changed since we moved so had you asked me this four months ago i would have said crow okay okay today i have to say a red-tailed hawk cool and for a land animal a red fox that hasn't changed in probably my whole adult life i have yeah this is funny i have an old tattoo an outline of a guitar on my leg, and I've been jumping back and forth, to having it covered by either a perched peregrine falcon mm-hmm. or um, a red-tailed hawk. Really? Yeah, I have I have a book <clears throat> that um, my grandmother got it. My grandmother was an artist, uh, among other things, and she had a reader Reader's Digest book of birds, North okay. American birds. Okay. And I used to open it and draw out of it, copy. You know what was what was yeah, there for yeah. birds, so I flipped through that book so many times. I'm like, you oh, know, red-tailed hawk is really cool, and that's kind of a local bird. And so I find it's as that local as this yard. Yeah, yeah, they're right. They're in the area. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting. Yes, that's cool. All right, so I love these questions. Yeah, these are you know I came up with this idea of just asking non-related questions. Everything's related it's, it's in going art. Good so far. Not <laughs> with artists, everything is related. True. So here's one where we're at. <laughs> All right. Except for where you live right now, where else in the world would you like to live? The Hudson River Valley. Okay. Okay. The three of us have been talking since, I mean, since Nate came into our lives. So for like, you know, almost nine years, um, we really see ourselves eventually being in the Hudson River Valley, which I have a lot of experience with as an ex-New Yorker. Ditto Mm -hmm. for Nate, who's also an ex-New Yorker. And I have a complicated relationship with that dream at the moment because we didn't expect to love it in Easton to the degree that we suddenly do. So I don't know what will happen with that, but still, still, still the Hudson River Valley. I like, absolutely love it. But I also see myself eventually and I, this is pure fantasy, but moving back to to Paris and being in Paris in my dotage as a little old lady, a little old <laughs> um, eccentric Parisian lady. Cool. It's yeah. <laughs> <That's> perfect. <laughs> okay, so this is a so this is kind of a complicated question, but um, if you could visit any time in history, where and when would you go? But it's just to be a fly in the wall, not. Not to, to affect, in, not to affect history. anything or interact, because I would, I would say that question, and somebody would go, "I'm going to go back and kill Hitler," you know, no, like no, there is no interaction. Okay, <laughs> so were, it's just to get closer to, ex- to an era that compels me. Yeah, just to experience some something. Okay, that time frame or. Uh, so I'm torn. I'm torn between Victorian okay. England and New York during the 20s and the 30s. I guess I should change Two that different question to eras, there. The 20s and the 30s. But, um, but so, okay, I kind of gave you three. You asked for one, okay. I gave you three. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> but they fulfill can... different aspects of self, Matt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah. You know, yeah. seriously. All right, yeah. cool. <laughs> That's awesome. 
All right, so these are the questions I normally ask people. They're more specific, obviously. You you do so many different things, so I, it's hard to pinpoint it. But your creative process, answer the question however you want. I know no other way, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it is your process more formal or is it more intuitive? Do you plan things out more or are you kind of a go with the flow? Yes. Come with it both as, as it comes. Okay. Both. Absolutely both. So I'm I am I Libra rising. <laughs> And Libra is all about balance. So that doesn't necessarily mean that we are graced with innate balance. It means that it's maybe we struggle with it or we strive to achieve it. But balance is definitely always an issue in my life. So my process is very Libran in this in the sense that um, I couldn't be. I'm not wired to be all right brain, all left brain. I'm not wired to be 100% intuitive in my process or 100% um, structured. Mm-hmm. I need to, my, my flow, so you said go with the flow, but for me, my flow is going in and out of structure and intuitive unstructured process i i I, and and the struggle that i the libran struggle that i have in finding and achieving that balance is being true to acknowledging not fighting and going with whichever state i find myself in so i am almost maniacal in terms of being a list maker and pre-planning my time Mm -hmm. and so, like, I plan, I mean, I have to. I, we're, we're, we're parents and professionals. Yeah. So, like, we have to have some sort of a schedule. Yeah. So I schedule in my creative time. But once I get to that creative time, I probably will come to that time with a list of expectations of how that right. time is going to be spent. But if I get to that time and my intuitive part wants to take over and my intuitive part is like, you know, I mean, <coughs> a list. You know, the heck with a <laughs> yeah. list. You know, yeah. you um we're going in a totally different direction and and I will let go and I will I will take you there. <laughs> you yeah. know, fly by the seat of your pants now. Yeah. Um and so does that I mean, that's yeah. my answer to your question. Yeah. So so both. So, so but both, there are yeah. other times when I arrive to that scheduled creative time and I really do need that list. I really do need to yeah. go by um what was pre planned and expected and um I really need to refer to the notes in my journal about a piece, um, whether that piece is a poem or whether that piece is um you know, a sculpture. And then there are other times where I'm like, I can't even understand my notes. I disagree with my notes. Yeah. You know, that's what I thought then. That's not happening now. Yeah, um, it's changed. <laughs> yeah. And other times where I'm like, thank God for my notes. So, um, yeah. so both. 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 Perfect. So this is all, an all, also kind of crazy question, but do you consider yourself more of a poet or an artist i have a feeling you're going to say both (laughs) but no this is such a big question for me it really is i mean you really um struck a nerve and for me that's a good thing so please don't apologize or or anything um no you're really 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 hitting on something you're you're hitting me where i live um so the my highest 
truth in answering that question is that I, at my core, consider myself a writer. And I have to say writer because I came to poetry a lot later. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do consider myself, at my core, a writer who stumbled into the visual arts. But I feel the greatest sense of imposter syndrome as a writer because I am 50 years old. I know that keeps coming up, but when you hit 50 years old and, <laughs> you know, you tend to say it a lot. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's still shocking to me. No, it really isn't. Um, so I feel like I can't go onto a podcast. I can't say in an interview. I can't look anybody outside of my immediate family, my family, my people, my best friends, and say, yes, I am, I am a writer. Yes, I am a poet. Because what the hell do I have to show for the body of work, the writing that I've actually produced? I don't have much in the way of published writing. Mm. Yet I can show a resume now over the past several years that's shown, you know, that shows a lot of pieces, having yeah. been in a lot of shows. So I feel like I have more um, external legitimacy as an artist, but I have much more internal legitimacy as a writer because that's where my love is at and because I have written through every phase of my life. Yeah. I've even written when I wasn't writing. And if you want to ask me about that, you can ask me about that next. But I'm always (laughs) writing. I haven't always been doing art. Um, So that's one of the reasons that if you look at my Instagram, I put poet first because um, I don't want to give in to, I do not want to acquiesce to... um, other people's interpretations or my person I don't even I don't know what other people think of me I don't know how other people perceive me so really it's my perception of what other people are going to do if I claim to be a poet a writer first but it is who am I really who am I I'm a writer and an artist I am a writer and an artist yeah but yeah writer first right that's a good answer think it is (laughs) that's my only honest answer yeah well that's all that's all you can be it's honest so if you could give advice to anybody who wants to be a writer or wants to be an artist or sculptor or any any anything that you do if you could give them a bit of advice what would it be Oh, absolutely, positively, do not give up, do not give in to any of the voices, whether they are your own or someone else's, that say that you can't or you shouldn't, um, and define your own expectations of your work and yourself. Just be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. You're going to doubt yourself you're going to doubt your work find a way to work with that doubt rather than let it stop you you're working on a collection now you have any number of (laughs) several yeah Yeah. okay yeah and that so that's um of of poetry of sculptures and of photographs and so in those three areas yes 
if somebody sees what you have and they want to purchase it. Okay. So I don't have a website at this time. Mm -hmm. I'm just coming around to um, thinking that that's probably a good idea. Um, but, I, but I'm on Instagram and anybody can um, follow me and anybody can DM me on Instagram. So my Instagram... I don't even know what the right lingo is. Handle? Yeah, sure. Is it a yeah, handle? Yeah. or yeah, Instagram <laughs> handle, yeah. That's what I say. I don't know if it's Is that what you say? Yeah. Oh, we'll go, if... We're going with it then. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we're going with it. My Instagram handle is Kalita LXVFB. So K-A-L-I-T-A-L-X-V-F-B. Okay. <clears throat> That's the best way to contact you. Yeah, I think it's the only way to contact me, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. I well, mean, you could email me. I do have one email that's like for art only. No, Insta let's go with Instagram. Instagram's good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's so funny because <clears throat> I don't know how our conversation started. I think I asked a, um, a question on Instagram and you answered. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to mention it in a podcast. And I said, what is that name? Because I've never seen that, and it was like... No, you were so polite. You neural, were so polite. <laughs> neural Adelac. You said, I want to I want to mention um, your comment. I want to use your comment on, on a podcast. I don't think... I think you just said, I want to use your comment. I wasn't sure if you were going to use it on a podcast or on your Instagram story. Yeah. Which is where you had the question and where I answered yeah, the yeah, question. Yeah. And you said, but I don't want to mispronounce... Well, I guess this should have been the clue that you were going to use it on a podcast. You said, I don't want to mispronounce yeah. um, your name. Can you just tell me how to pronounce your name? And that is because, yes, listeners, if you go to my Instagram, K-A-L-I-T-A-L-X-V-F-B, you will not find Lauren Kalita as the name underneath yeah. the little <laughs> icon that I have. Um, on my page, you will find Nerol Adelac, and yeah. you can feel free to pronounce that any way you want, because that is simply Lauren Kalita spelled backwards. Yeah. <laughs> Shall I explain why? <laughs> if you'd like, <clears throat> but I remember trying to pronounce it and saying, you know, uh, I I don't know how to say that. <laughs> Nerol Adelac. <laughs> I kept saying. You know, it's, it's really, this is one of the many ways in which I have a complex relationship with Instagram, because... Um, so I, I, I began Instagram just a year, not even a year ago, not even a year ago, I think. I think it was like, I was, we're coming on a year because someone from the Cultural Center, so the Cultural Center of Cape Cod in Yarmouth and Katuit Center for the Arts are the two places that really um, have been like the most hospitable to um me as an artist and my work and extremely welcoming and warm and really supported me and my work mm -hmm. really supported me. And someone at the cultural center said, you know, um, we would like to put a way to contact all of our artists on the website. And I didn't have anything. So, yeah. um, and I, <clears throat> so I was like, okay, Instagram is quick and easy. I can yeah. just like, I can do that probably in five minutes. I can set myself up with an yeah. Instagram. So, so it started, my presence on Instagram started and remains an outlet for, or an avenue to connect artistically. Yeah. And that means many things. So to connect artistically. It's not, it's not my private or my personal Instagram, but because of my particular career, yeah, um, it became evident 
And I did have my name, Lauren Kalita, on my Instagram. And I I never thought twice about using my name as it is. Yeah. Until, I'm going to say like September or October, when um, an email went around where I work saying, you just, you really shouldn't have a public (laughs) social media presence you really need to be careful people should employees should have be very careful yeah be mindful of and i don't think i'm putting anything out on my page that would be i mean there's certainly nothing hateful there's certainly nothing um i don't think there's anything sexual or i mean people can People take things wherever they are inclined to take things. But I don't think there's anything that would get me in trouble. Nevertheless, this scared the hell out of me. And I thought, just in case there is anything, I need to be free in my art. I need to not think twice about putting a poem. And I did take some of the poems that I had recorded with the clip art. I immediately took off, I would say, a third, maybe even half of the recordings of poems that I had up on the Instagram came off. Yeah. And a few photographs just in case they could be, like I use mannequin parts in um, a lot of the pieces and, you know, they're naked mannequin parts. And like sometimes I spray paint things like nipples and, you know, I mean, butt cheeks. And I mean, I do (laughs) weird things with the mannequin parts, but nothing violent, nothing, you know, hateful but just in case so i i just scared yeah. the hell out of me so i removed a whole bunch of things and then i thought okay i feel that i can't use my name but i can't close down the instagram account yeah. i need to be able to use my name but i need to not get in trouble i support my family from this job i can't lose this job it's right it's it's a much bigger deal than anything else being able yeah. to support my family without interruption right but i was very upset that i might not have the like that my survival job that my career could be taken away from me because of what i'm doing artistically when i'm not doing anything that hurts anybody was so upsetting to me it offended me so much that i was actually contemplating not using my name and the only way that the only solution i could come up with that i was comfortable was to use my name but use it backwards yeah and i don't know if that's my get out of jail free card (laughs) or not but at least if the idea is that you know if somebody googles lauren kalita that instagram isn't going to come up yeah because it doesn't it's not under lauren kalita yeah yeah i don't bother to put my last name not that i'm ashamed of my last name or anything no i understand similar similar reasons where you know uh i've had the podcast going for a little while my co most of my coworkers didn't know about it, and then last year uh, I started sharing all the Instagram stuff onto Facebook, just my regular Facebook. Okay. With my name. Okay. People will. Oh, what is this? Mm-hmm. You know, all, all of a sudden they're all showing interest, and in, I, you know, said, "Well, this is exactly what. Oh, how come nobody knows about it? No. Like, what is it like a big secret? It's not a secret, but but it's private. But it's not work related, and I know you from work." Yes, what you said so it, is different it, from it, private. You're, so in, unless yes. I wanted to tell you, you wouldn't know. Yes. Like yes. as far as coworkers go. Yes. Everybody else in the world can know about it. Yes. Or find out about it, whoever. 
And I don't know. It, to me, it's similar because it's... It's absolutely, absolutely similar. Yeah, because... Nobody at work. <clears throat> nobody at work. You know, I don't go to work and tell everybody all my personal business. Which, I mean... I don't know any of their personal business. I don't... Unless they've said it out loud. I don't know what they do for a hobby or if they have anything going on. I don't find so that troubling. Would... Yeah. I, yeah, I to don't... me, and but... I'm fine with it. Yeah. I could care less what they do with their time. Yeah. It's work. It's professional. Yeah. You're, it's a exactly. prof- they are professional relationships. Yeah. There's yes. a few people that work for the same company, you know, a few people in my particular department that follow it and know about it. They never ask me about it. I never, <laughs> I don't go to work and tell them. So. Okay. I was just trying to prevent the overflow. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's I don't know if well it said. makes any sense. Well said. Okay. <laughs> oh, I really like that. So thank you so much for uh, inviting me up here and taking the time to talk to me. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast. I appreciate it. Oh, that's what I was going to say. That's how it, that's how it came up. When I asked you how to pronounce your name, you said it would be an honor to be on my podcast. <laughs> and I was so excited I mentioned it to my wife. I said, she said she'd be honored to be on my podcast. <laughs> I said, I think I'm going to ask her to be on the podcast. She seems to be into the idea. Clearly. Yeah. yeah. So thank you so much for coming on. And I thank really you for having me. appreciate it so much. Neither one of us ate lunch. But <laughs> well, did you just hear my stomach? Did the microphone did pick it, up? Did it make... <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. So what'd you think of that? Lauren's very talented. It was a very long discussion. We uh, we recorded for over three hours. It was a long day, but it was uh, very very much worth it. It was a lot of fun. She was a great um, hostess, and her partner Nate is a very uh, gracious host as well. I was very glad to dr- make the drive out to East Ham, Easton, East Ham. Not sure how you say it. <laughs> um. Thank you for listening today. You can see Lauren's work on her Instagram page. It's Kalitil, K-A-L-I-T-A-L-X-V-F-B. Make sure to check out the Odd People Podcast Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook accounts. Join the Facebook group. Go to oddpeoplepodcast.com. For info about the show and to purchase merchandise. I hope you tune in next time. Stay creative. Stay inspired. And as always, stay odd. (laughs) 